recognizing he's drug lord's way bloody warfare in the street. Yet another open conflict. Oh, fuck this, get me out of here! Colombians did all this, then why'd they leave their boss Ramon over there hanging Tanner's girlfriend naked on the floor? It wasn't the Colombians. My friend from the armory. Right. We got a new player in town. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. What is this? How many times do I have to tell you? You don't know what you're dealing with. The following review will contain spoilers. And may contain strong language. That's right. Other world life forms. Huh? A fucking alien. I don't know who he is. But I know where he is. So why can't we see him? Defensive adaptations are astounding. It's somehow able to bend light. Perfect camouflage. As part of our throwback series, today we'll be looking at Predator 2, starring Danny Glover, Danny Glover, Gary Boosie, Bill Paxton, Maria Pinchito Alonso, and Kevin Peter Hall. We prepared a little trap for this predator. He's right behind it. He sees the damn light. Turn them off! Turn them off! Come on, motherfucker! Want to kill him? Let's dance! Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Your move, Bussy It's Gally in Glasgow. <laughs> and want some candy? It's Devlin in London. Welcome to episode number three. Episode number three, Devlin. Yeah. Predator 2. Predator 2. Um, Devlin, do you want to explain to the audience, and more importantly me, why we're doing Predator 2? First and foremost, it's because uh, Predator 2 is a film that I remember extremely well from my childhood. Um, If I remember correctly, it would have been... So this film came out, what, uh, uh, Christmas of 1990? Is that about right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Christmas right. 1991, uh, my dad thought it was fine to buy me this on VHS. It was in my stocking. That sounds like a response. Wasn't parents. even wrapped. Is in the stocking. Um, <laughs> he also had the, the same Christmas. Uh, so my brother, I would have been seven. My brother would have been nine. Bought my brother um, an equally ridiculous film, which I am saving for a future episode okay so this yeah this was and and i'd never seen predator because i was seven i don't know why i ended up with this tape it's um it's clearly unbelievably violent uh has at least one uh scene of um full frontal nudity uh several ritualistic murders uh the entire plot revolves around (laughs) drug dealers and intergalactic killers (laughs) And I absolutely <laughs> loved it. So, um, yeah, I've, I watched Predator 2 a lot when I was a kid. The thing is, it, it, it dropped off my radar. So I, I would have watched it a lot, way too young. And then it just sort of receded into the background. I guess I was I was done with it. I'd seen it enough times and 
I got kind of sick of it. I didn't see Predator, the original Predator, until a few years at least. I don't remember the first time I saw Predator actually, but obviously in the in the ensuing years, I've become a, a huge fan of that one. And Predator Two sort of was pushed back to the the further recesses of my mind. And um, oddly, it was um, a screening that me and you had of Predator Two probably ten years ago, maybe eleven, in in uh, in Richmond when we were making um, a short film with our good friend, uh, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that now. I yeah. do remember. The Wilds. Yeah, that was... that was uh, Bloody good film. It was, it was cracking. It was It was a little odd that we decided to watch Predator 2. Yeah, instead of the first one, which is what The Wilds kind of took from. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was the last time I, I would have seen it, for definite. Do you have, have such vivid or fond memories of this? I'm going to lay out my soul right now. And I'm also going to give you some context to where I'm coming from when it comes down to Predator and the greater universe of where Predator lived. Uh, I'm a huge, huge Alien fan. Love the world, love the creature, love Sigourney Weaver. So Alien is sort of the gold standard when it comes down to Alien sci-fi films for me. However, I've also got a real love of Predator. And just like you, I saw Predator 2 before I saw the original. And just like with Alien, I saw Aliens before I mm. saw Alien. I also saw Predator 2 way too young. I remember uh, my auntie had it on VHS, but it was I think it was a pirated copy. Was it from the was it from the same shippy that you got Jurassic Park from? <laughs> no, no, no. This was pirated as in it was just taped off Sky. Because oh, okay. uh, I remember this one was on Sky a lot. Not the original, but Predator 2 was. And uh, I remember watching it round her house with my cousin, and I loved it. But I would, I would say I was probably about eight or nine uh, as well when I saw it. I just absolutely adored the film. What I will say uh, before, I, before we go into this mm-hmm. film is I used to have a recurring dream as a, as a youngster. So I used to pretend that the predator was hunting me. And he, sh- he shoots me, shoots me in like the shoulder, uh, but yep. like Arnie in the first one. But I lie down and I pretend I'm dead. But the predator can see my body heat, so he knows I'm still alive, and he just he shanks me with his claws. Pretty pretty deep. I don't know what the Freudian implications <laughs> are of that dream. However, what I'm gonna what I'm saying is that I am also a huge fan of the uh, of the predator. Love the creature design. So I'm just like you, I'm a huge huge fan. And this film was a great choice because this is exactly why we're doing the podcast because we're basically going back to films that were seminal in our youth. And do they really hold up? We'll find out. So, Devlin, why don't you give us the plot? Ten years after Dutch and his elite special forces team were stalked through the jungles of Central America by an intergalactic creature, another hunter is on the prowl in the scorching summer heat of LA 1997. In this not-too-distant future, <laughs> next Sunday AD, that's a, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 joke. Uh, violent drug gangs rule the streets, leaving beleaguered police forces struggling to contain the madness. Cop on the edge, Lieutenant Mike Harrigan, Danny Glover, <laughs> arrives at one such blood arrives at one such boulevard bloodbath in time to chase a Colombian gang into a tower block. After a firefight, several members of the gang are found slaughtered by an unseen hand. This same mystery assailant later intervenes in the ritualistic killing of a Colombian drug lord by his Jamaican rivals, skinning, skinning and hanging his victims from the ceiling. Harrigan's investigations are hampered by his superiors and the arrival of a mysterious federal task force led by Peter Keyes, our man Gary Boosie. 
This shit gets personal when Harrigan's partner, Danny Boy, I assume his name was just Danny Boy, like that's his surname. Detective Ancelotta, which sounds an awful lot like Ancelotta. Okay. Uh, played by we'll the musician. The, we'll get into the racism. Yeah. Played by musician Ruben Blades. Is killed by the monster. Vowing revenge, Harrigan sets off in pursuit despite having no idea what he's let himself in for. Will the Predator claim another skull for the trophy cabinet? Or can Harrigan turn the tables on his pursuer? Spoilers. Yes, he can. And he does. Thank you. <laughs> Very good, Devlin. Very good. Right. Can we get straight into it? Danny okay. Glover. <laughs> Thoughts. Two words. Thoughts. Uh, okay. It's, it's an odd one. Uh, I admire the urge to do something different. I don't think once you've gone with with like prime mid to late 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can't then, there's no trumping 80s Schwarzenegger. He is at that point, like the embodiment of a kind of like Atlas. He's just, he's a physical specimen. So you have to do something else. As with a lot of the stuff in this film, I, I like this idea of, you go with, you know, an angry streetwise city cop. I think Danny Glover is very game. Uh, going back and rewatching it, he creates a more consistent and weirder character than I remember. There are only a few moments that stuck in my memory over mainly the stuff later when he can't stop incessantly talking to himself while climbing down a, a drain pipe. So what I'd forgot was... Um, was how kind of it took him so long. Yeah, it's goddamn, goddamn, goddamn. So, what what really surprised me was going back and watching that first half of the film that he he is like he's a a, a weirdo. He's you know he's 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 wiry and he's short tempered and uh, his suits are enormous. Absolutely, yeah, those trousers. Are absolutely, cute. he's a big dude. I don't even know how you can find a suit that drowns him to such an extent, let alone several suits throughout the course of it. Can I, can I make a counter-argument to you saying you, that you're going to give the, the film some credit? This is, a, this is an opening gambit. This is just me pushing a pawn onto the, onto the squares. I don't know how to play chess, but I think that's how you start. Um, so, yeah. You're... Well, it sounds like you're playing chess like the aliens in the comments <laughs> like. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, your move, rebuttal. Danny Glover. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a little. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll give you some facts. So, the the original script was actually they they wanted Arnold back right. for the sequel. He uh, there's there's loads of different trivia as to why he didn't do it. Um, one one uh, one idea is money, uh, which makes sense because he would have been very expensive in 1990. Uh, but also he was doing Terminator Two. Uh, and he chose Terminator yeah. 2 over Predator 2. Yep. I would say that's a wise choice, you know, out of the sequels. Time will tell as to whether or not which one's the better one. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's off making Terminator 2. So they actually did have um, a role for Arnold, but he wasn't going to play the cop. He was going to play uh, Peter Keyes, which is Gary oh, no. Busey's character. So he was actually going to be the one hunting down the Predator, just like the first one. Um, or at the end of the first one, anyway. Uh, so they w they did try and get Arnold, and I'll get I will I'll second your at least they've gone gone for something different. However, you hire Danny Glover; he's a far better yeah. actor than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, if you've seen him in Color Purple, uh, you'll see that, and in the Lethal Weapon films, 
However, I attribute Danny Glover to those Lethal Weapon films. North, uh, Murtaugh sat on a toilet with a bomb strapped to it saying, I'm too old for this shit. He is too old for this shit. He's 54 years old, Devlin, in this. He's 54. Now, I know that Tom Cruise is jumping around currently in his 50s, but Danny Glover ain't no Tom Cruise. Uh, so immediately, I have an issue with the casting. He just doesn't fit. And I don't think he either is... Um, one, he's not, being, he's not really given a script to work with. Because even though you're saying that they're trying to move away from Arnold, they're doing everything they can to make it seem like he's a match yeah. to the Predator. He's got his shirt off, and I'll give him credit. He's in good nick. If I look like that in 50, when I'm 54, I'll be well impressed. But they make, they make like little subtle lines. There's the, you know the, the, the opening scene when the chap's strapped up at the top? And Danny Boy says, you couldn't get him up there. It's almost like yeah. he's saying, you're a big guy. You're big and strong. But even you couldn't get that guy up there. So the film does try and, and, and sort of make parallels between Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, yeah. Dutch, in the first one and uh, Lieutenant Harrigan in this one. And I, d- I do think he's floundering at the beginning. It's, he's just yeah, shouting and hollering. And uh, to me, that's an actor He, do- he doesn't thinking. have a, uh, an amazing... His, his physicality is very weird. The way he slings his gun around is very strange all the way through the film, especially when he's in the um, graveyard when he finds Danny Boy's necklace hanging from a tree. And he, like, he... he um, and he flops to the left, and then he flops to the middle, and then he flops to the right, and he doesn't look particularly comfortable. At no point does he look really comfortable carrying a massive gun, which is which is weird. Mm. I think the director knows it as well, which is why he just puts whip pans in every time uh, he's he's doing any kind of physical action. He yeah. he simply doesn't have that kind of physicality. And in the first film, they make such a big deal of yeah. Arnold being the alpha male, and in this one, we're to believe that. Danny Glover has been, and I'm going to call him Danny Glover. Uh, yeah. Harrigan doesn't work. What? Harrigan's a weird name. It doesn't really trip off the tongue, does it? No, not, 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 not particularly. Harrigan. Yeah, I'm going to call him Danny Glover for the rest of this episode, so deal with it. Okay. Um, Danny Glover, it just doesn't have the physicality. But um, there's a computer program that halfway through the film tells you that he's an angry man. Did, did, did you catch what it says? Because it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I don't have it verbatim. Do you have it? I do because I'm a nerd like that. So he Brilliant. has been arrested several times for uh, sort of grievous bodily harm. You're assuming they're on uh, criminals, you hope. He's yeah. also responsible for uh, destruction of 11 patrol cars. And this is my favorite. <laughs> He's also responsible for destroying one city bus. I want to see that scene. That sounds like a great prequel. They keep <laughs> making prequels now. I would yeah, be much more interested to see Lieutenant Mike Harrigan the early years. Yeah, they should do. They should do. But yeah, so he, he's he's a strange he's a strange casting choice. Uh, Devlin, I'm going to give you um, a couple of the other options. So they they okay. ended up with Danny Glover. Uh, yeah. But hear me out. This is great, and I, I would have liked to have seen this film. Uh, their original choice was Patrick Swayze, but unfortunately, he got injured on Roadhouse. <laughs> So he couldn't do the film. And imagine that. Imagine Roadhouse against Predator. That'd be great, wouldn't that's, it? That's going to be weird because that's the that's 1990. So had he gone through with that whilst also not having to drop any other projects, that would be him in Ghost and Predator 2. <laughs> I know. And, I, and I just keep thinking that he would do the lift from Dirty Dancing and like slam mm. the Predator down. It'd be great. So, yeah, Patrick Swayze was one of them. And another one was Steven Seagal, which I could kind of see. 
Seagal's just like, imagine Seagal doing that slow hand shit against the Predator. Uh. Even, I mean, even in his prime years, he was a listless and boring performer. <laughs> That's like his whole point. His whole point is watching him just slob his way through films. That's why he's funny. It would have been a shame to see. Do you want to hear a fan, a uh, 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 retrospective fan casting that I just thought of literally just now while we were talking about it? Yeah, go on. Um, yeah. 1990, um, Mario Van Peebles. Mario Van... Yeah, you know what? That would have worked, actually. Wouldn't he have just come off Highlander 2? Quickening. Possibly. He would have been like... Yeah, he would have been in like um, Jaws, The Revenge, and a bunch of other shit like that. But he was a guy who was sort of bubbling around a breakout. He would have been in... He would have been in a bunch of like B-movies and stuff. This could have been a... a you know, like a, a statement thing. Well, this film is essentially a B-movie. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one was as well, but I think it was a B-movie, a bit like the original Alien that was kind of elevated by uh, a director who knows, well, who just can elevate a piece yeah. of work like that. This one really feels like a B-movie, and I think Mario Van Peebles would be great. You get Danny Glover, but I'm not knocking Danny Glover. I'm not knocking him as as an actor. I just think he's completely miscast in this. Yeah. And he he, he feels like he's drowning in the in the opening scenes of this film. Mm. Uh, and and in his own trousers, <laughs> yes, and his own sweat. As well. um, I'm alright yeah. with the sweatiness because you know they keep saying it's 107 degrees, and you know they got that whole um, city of madness. Everyone's falling apart because it's too hot thing going on. I'm alright with. It. Should, we, should we talk about that before we get into the opening scene? Future 1997. Mm. Blink if you miss it at the beginning of the film, though. They're almost yeah. ashamed to say it's the future. One of the disappointing things is that this idea of, uh, of of putting that creature in a completely different setting, especially putting it in a in a city, especially putting it in a in a violence, is so great and so obvious that I don't understand why we have to cloud it with unnecessary set dressing. Mm, yeah, you, are you you're, you're talking about the future stuff, the future stuff, and also the the inexplicably racist gangs. We'll just put that out there as well. Well, I have a, th- I have a theory on the racist gangs. Okay. So you're definitely referring to the Jamaican voodoo posse. Um, Jamaican voodoo posse and and the Colombian gang. And the Colombian where, where the guy just grabs a cocaine. he just grabs a fistful of coke and grinds it into his own face. Um, well, we've just come out of the eighties, buddy. You know, have you not seen Narcos? Well, I've, this shit was just flying around. Uh, we we watched yeah, Scarface very it, recently. We did, we did. The racial stereotyping is a real issue in this mm. film. However, I am going to say that the future setting is the very justification for why they go for these gangs. I.e., had this been a, a contemporary urban environment, yeah. 1990 yeah. Los Angeles, then they would they would be touching upon the gangs of the time. They don't want to go near it, so I think that's the justification yeah. as to why you just say, I'll tell you what, make it 1997. That way... You know, think about in the 90s, global warming was referred to in loads of films. I remember they referred to it in like Naked Gun 2 yeah, and, two and a Half. You know, he makes a joke about you know, the end zone layer. So it's prevalent in the 90s about global warming. I guess it keeps it like a cartoon, doesn't it? It does. It's exactly that. I, do, I mean, I don't know. I think you can do it like um, like The Warriors is almost a cartoon, although it's a, a much, much, much better film. I, I wrote down The Warriors. I would have been happier if they, they gave the gangs yeah. a little bit more personality as opposed to just making them completely and utterly racial stereotypes. Yeah, just just make it make it 
it's yeah, like it's already silly. So well, another mm-hmm. another film that this film totally apes off, which has gangs, yeah. is RoboCop. So they could have just had a gang that was diverse, but was still as violent, was still as sort of gruesome, and you want to see the predator take them down. But you you don't need to go. Well, they're Jamaican and these are Colombian. You can just say they're just a gang. This director, oh, these filmmakers, but, this script. But the thing is, he he made a a gang film. The director, Stephen Hopkins. He made um, was it Stephen Hopkins? That guy, Stephen Hopkins. Stephen Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years, couple of years after this, he does um, Judgment Night, mm. which is which is a, a, a bad film with an amazing soundtrack. Did you ever hear that? I, I haven't actually seen Judgment Night. I did go back and watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Dream Child. Because oh. uh, really all I know Stephen Hopkins from is 24, which I was a huge fan of for about four or five seasons. And just like most mm. American TV shows, they kind of just keep repeating the same thing and eventually it sort of dies dies a sort of lonely, yeah. sad death as opposed to just going on a, on a high but I know him mainly from TV. And then when I looked at his filmography, that's when I started to think, actually, you know what? Films-wise, there's more misses than hits. You remember Lost in Space Mm. with Matt LeBlanc? Yeah. I watched it like 15, 20 minutes of it recently, actually. It was on TV, and it is is awful. It It was bad back then, and it doesn't hold up well now. No amount of Gary Oldman is saving that film. It is awful. No. But what I was saying was um, uh, in Judgment Night, awesome soundtrack, the the gang is led by uh, Dennis Leary, back when Dennis Leary was everywhere. Yeah, stealing Bill Hicks jokes. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the same thing. It's just like, it's just a generic gang. Everyone's from everywhere. It's, I don't even remember what the composition of the gang is. So I they, they could have gone with that, but then I guess... That's very unmemorable. Maybe the Warriors is too far in the other. This isn't far off the Warriors. This is like a super, super violent, ridiculous version of of what the Warriors was doing. Less awesome costumes, but yeah, very, two very distinct. Um, you know, there there is no voodoo in Jamaica, right? I do. Uh, so I've been to Jamaica, mm-hmm. and they do not practice voodoo. One of my best mates' wife is Jamaican. Oh, okay. uh, she would be appalled at the idea of fucking voodoo magic, man, because they just do not yeah. practice it. It's Haitian, but I think there's there's a weird thing, right, in the in the early nineties, and I think I think it started with like Live and Let Die. James Bond did it, where they just sort of went to the Caribbean and they kind of just mixed up a load of uh, racial stereotypes to create yeah. like this this kingpin who was like from New Orleans, but he was also African, but he was also American, but he was also from the Caribbean. And they, you know, they had a bit of voodoo in that. And in the 1990s, so you had Steam Seagal's Marked for Death, which this film literally plagiarizes like many other films, and we'll get into it. So the King Willie character is, is in Marked for Death. Does the same thing. Chicken bones oh, really? and cryptic talk. The whole thing, yeah. Released in the same, same year as Predator 2. Mm-hmm. But then you think about um, a couple of years later, we got cool runnings. I don't know what happened, but for some reason, Hollywood got really interested in Jamaica. I just wonder if they just realized that there was this lovely, beautiful Caribbean island not that far away. And um, you know, they smoked ganja and they got dreadlocks. And also, whether you know what's interesting? The director, Stephen Hopkins, he's born in Jamaica. Yeah, I read that. And I thought this is... This, I mean, he's, he's gone along with this with this madness, this, um, this, this you know, cultural decimation of the... Maybe, maybe he hated it. 
Maybe he was born there and he absolutely hated it. And this is his vengeance. Let's get it out there then. Stephen Hopkins, at this point in his career, so he's just he's made Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Um, he Any good? It, no. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna, <laughs> but I'm gonna go with it's the fifth in a series. What do you expect? However, there's some there's some flourishes uh, of, of sort of genuine imagination and creativity behind the camera, and I would say that there's the same in this film. There's there's a couple of there's a couple of moments. There's, he's you he's got almost, an eye, right? Yeah, like, you can, can almost put, put a shot them, together. Yeah, you can always put them down to like individual shots where you go, oh, I can see what you're going for. However. This man has got a track record, I'm going to say now, is a plagiarizer. Because in Nightmare on Elm Street 5, it feels very much like he watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and went, oh yeah, I'll I'll have some of that. And that's what number five feels like. He's also taken from sort of loads of 80s pop culture stuff. There's an aha reference in there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's it's, it's not weird, but it's, um, you know, at, at the time it was like the greatest music video ever made take on me and he yeah very much takes takes all of that and puts it in the film and in predator 2 i'm gonna argue that robocop aliens just get robocop's a weird one though isn't it because that would have been in production at around the same time it's not well, it, I, unless he's unless he's like yeah. filching from from the production unless he's got some no, Ro- robocop, like... dude, check out the years robocop was three years earlier i think was it i thought they were both 1990 you might be right the future stuff is is just they like went well we I wouldn't mind some satire so we'll just put mm. some satire in but unlike Verhoeven Hopkins hasn't got the wit he hasn't got the comedic timing no. I just don't think he understands satire because we haven't even gotten to open scene but I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing journalists mm. there's loads of them in every scene yeah what for I don't know and my thought was that um. I wondered when the uh, TV show Cops started, and it started uh, a year, maybe a year, year and a half before. So it was late eighties. It was like eighty eight. So I think that the influence of of cops, that kind of uh, cameras on the ground following these Mm. police around, I thought maybe that was in the you know in the zeitgeist and was kind of leaking into these productions. When you said like B movie, it's yeah, it's weird. It's got a budget clearly. It's got it's got more of a budget than the first one, which makes mm-hmm. sense. It's in the city. Um, it's going to be more expensive than than a jungle. Um, but yeah, it's a bigger budget, and it has got one. The, the special effects in this, I think, hold up quite well. Uh, on the on the whole, a <laughs> couple of ropey mm. obstacles, but well, I think that I think some of them are just ill-conceived shots. I think like POV shots of things flying through the air never look great. No, no. Um, and because you haven't got the foliage, like in the first one, that kind of, oh, again, camouflages the Predator uh, and the special effects in the mm. first one. Uh, yeah, you can see everything in this one. Uh, a bit like Patrick Stewart in Extras. Uh, you can see everything. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the special effects, I, I think they're all right. For 1990, they're fine. I feel like the, um, the, the Predator itself, maybe because you see more of it, maybe because you see more of it, like you say, better lit and, and in a in a more recognizable environment. I don't think it looked as great. The suit and the animatronics. I think it's because they know they know that they've got such an amazing kind of uh, creature design. This kind of indelible image of the of the face and the talons and the, the mandibles and stuff. Mm. But I I think they shot it. I think they just went ahead and shot it too close. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's 
there's there's a few scenes later on when the mask comes off in this slaughterhouse. The eyes don't look right. It looks like a puppet. You know, the, the eyes mm. and the like you say, the animatronics. But what I did like, like all good sequels should do, is that, that they at least expand on the Predator itself. So the design, uh, it looks slightly different to the first one. Subtle differences. Mm. But if you are, you know, an Anorak fan, where you're going to notice those things, you'll get some reward from it. Also... One of the things that they really do push is the tech. You know, the, the Predator's got new weapons. And I quite like that. You know, they introduce it. They, they see, um, you see those weapons being used. And also they use one of those weapons as a, as a, as a big plot point. So yeah. much so that it becomes the thing that defeats the Predator at the end. So there is, there is some good stuff there uh, with the Predator and the Predator design. But I definitely agree with you. Too, too many close-ups, too well lit. There's a, few, there's a few bits where you can tell it's a man in a suit. It's always just the difference between a director that can competently handle a scene and a director who can elevate a scene. John McTiernan, uh, he was offered a chance to come back. Uh, he turned it down and did uh, Hunt for Red October. So it could have been McTiernan, but I'm going to go with money like a lot of things. You yeah. know, I think if they paid Arnold what he wanted, I'm sure he would have done the film, um, but they didn't. Hmm. And it kind of, it's kind of spoken in the cast. Uh, do you want to, should we talk about the rest of the cast? Uh, quickly, it's um, admirably diverse, especially for the era, for 1990, for a film to be led by you know Ruben yeah. Blades and, and Danny Glover and Maria Conchita Alonso. <laughs> He's just got the most fun name. She has got a lovely name. Unfortunately, she does absolutely nothing in this film. Yeah. And it's a shame. Uh, they sort of hired her. They gave her a haircut so she sort of looks like Alan Ripley. I was thinking Vasquez. Oh, you were thinking Vasquez. That's just because she's uh, Latino. (laughs) You racist. No, because she's, you know, she, um, she's always busting uh, Bill Paxton's balls physically and, and also, um, you know, not physically. (laughs) In in the bar when she says, how are your balls? It's, you know, it sounds. Yeah, she doesn't. She just. She has nothing to do in this film. But I totally agree that the um, the casting, as far as the characters, the cast of characters that they've gone for is really, uh, really admirable. Uh, but again, speaks of a B movie that you've got Maria Conchita Alonso. Mm. You know, last scene in Running Man, and post Predator Two, I couldn't name a film that she's in. But she looks. She's beautiful in Running Man. Like she's not beyond beautiful, but she's like sexy mm. as hell. Uh, whereas in this, she's sort of, um, yeah, they kind of just damp, dampened down that sexuality and just made her look a little bit nuts. She's a yeah, badass. They're going for like the hard. She's the another hard one. Who can't, type. Yeah, she's another one who. She can't hold a gun correctly <laughs> as well. She's another one. It's, uh, yeah. It's a, it's not the most intimidating. When, when, they, uh, when they finally get, you know, the team kind of thing together where her and her and Paxton and Danny Glover are together and they're deciding they're going to take this take this thing down it's like are you three <laughs> really i'll give reuben blade a little bit of credit because one of the one of the reasons why i think the first one uh, really works is that the team dynamic between the characters is really well established and even though they don't really have all that much screen time or even that much character you get a sense that they they're friends and it's earned you know every when when jesse ventura dies you've You've barely had any time with Bill Duke and Jesse Ventura on screen, but you feel 
Bill Duke's loss, even though you watching it as an audience member might not be like choked up because Jesse Ventura has died, you know that Bill Duke and him had a close relationship and it wasn't just told, it was kind of through subtle sort of characterizations yeah. that you get, you get it. In this one, I don't really buy into the team. However, I'll caveat that with, I do like the relationship between Danny Glover and yeah. Danny Boy. I, I do feel that they only have a couple of scenes before Danny Boy gets uh, gets killed in the film. But there's just a couple of scenes, and there's one in particular where Bill Paxton's getting his balls <laughs> pinched by Maria Conchito Alonso. And, uh, and they do a, like, a little high five, and it just feels like, yeah, even if it's just those two actors got on well with each other on set, yeah. I, bu- I buy it, so I'll give them credit there. But as far as a team dynamic... It never really works because they're never really together. Da- Danny Glover's off in his own, and he's always just ringing them, and they're they're kind of off doing yeah. something else. So you never really get a sense that they're a cohesive unit working together to take yeah, the, the... Take down the predator. It just doesn't. I think um one of the uh, one of the things I like about the film is is the pace that it kind of rattles through what it's got to do. What that does mean is that it doesn't leave anyone time to make a. Uh, a mark as with a character um and and yeah that mm. was mm. that was always you know McTiernan was was talking about during the making of predator that um he was always having to sneak around and secretly try and get them to act because he was convinced that the studio wanted like a like a meathead who was just going to blow shit up and that John McTiernan actually had a background in in like improv theater and in legitimate you know off-broadway theater and so he sort of snuck character moments in amongst the mayhem. Whereas, uh, yeah, this film doesn't really take the time for that. Well, and the first one, Devlin, the Predator doesn't turn up until 20 minutes into the film. And if you, if you just sort of forget the opening shot where the alien yeah. craft lands onto the planet, which, which a lot of people tend to just forget that that's even in the film, you wouldn't know. No, that that's a, true. You, a sci-fi film. You're in a. Um, all the twenty minutes. And you're in a. And you're, yeah. in a you're, in a, you're in Commando too. You're in. You're in a kind of an Arnie action vehicle, and then mm. they flip it, and they bring these. They they mash these two genres, and it works really well. Yes. They try to do the same thing in Predator Two, police police procedural, sci-fi film. Problem is. We know what the predator is at this point, so that whole yeah. mystery we we, you know, we don't need to see a bunch of characters trying to figure it all out. We're already we're already two steps ahead, and that's one of the big dings I'm going to go for the script is that they they make a real big point in the opening scene to show the predator and kind of cut those first twenty minutes yeah. from the first one and go straight to the scene where we see the predator pick out the alpha male or Danny Glover in this case, but. Then they just sort of ditch the idea that we know that the Predator and what he does and why he's here. And then they go into a, yeah. so what is this thing that's attacking these gangs? And, and that that is a criminal mistake in this script. It's, yeah, and it's, it's an unconvincing police procedure as well. It's, it's, it's deeply stupid. Well, there's no, there's hardly and, any investigation. And it's just littered, littered with explosions. <laughs> it is. It's not a Columbo episode, is it? There's a couple of good explosions early on. Like just just chuck it out there. There's one especially. You know how you were saying that um there are a few scenes and or even individual shots where you can say like ah oh, somebody here knew how to put a shot together. Because I think um by and large it's it's a 
a well it's a well enough put together film it's well enough staged um so clearly the director and especially second unit director knew how to direct action they knew how to put a camera down everything looks you know decent the production design's all good but um at no point are you in anything other than a predator film that's playing for time but again yeah they they scatter that predator throughout that first scene as well he's glimpsed far too often i would argue that we don't get a predator film until about maybe an hour and 10 minutes in but i mean but he's but he's always there just kind of jumping across stuff let's let's talk about the opening scene uh because we mentioned about the director stephen hopkins and having some flourishes i really like the opening shot you know the irony of showing trees and mm-hmm. what looks like it could be a jungle with the music where they've yeah, added the drums. yeah they basically um same score but they've added some sort of added some drums uh and then you know we we pan up to yeah. uh, la skyline uh one of the things i will say is that the original script uh was that it would to be in new york of course i knew it i knew it that skyline shot that they show from the trees up that's about as much building yeah. skyline that you're going to get. There are virtually no, there are no high skyscrapers and whatnot in LA. It's completely yeah. sprawling. So why would you set it there other than budget? Right. So that's the reason why they didn't shoot in in New York. Well, I'm just thinking um, everything about it, like the problems of of how we we're talking about that they wanted to be, you know, relatively generic, gang centered. It makes so much more sense if it's like. Times Square, you've got the punks, you've got you've got the warriors, basically. Yeah, exactly. What was the uh, was uh, uh, Jason takes Manhattan? That was terrible, and that failed. That failed to capture um, the New York. But again, that was budget problems. But this this film would have had the money to throw a relative. Like if if Walter Hill can make the warriors on what like ten million, you can make Predator two with five times mm. that, three times <laughs> maybe. What do we know? Do we know what the budget is on this? Like thirty. Yeah, no, thirty-five million, and it returned about fifty-seven, which is a really poor yeah. return. And the original ooh, was less than 30, thirty-five, but returned ninety-eight. I think people they look back now and go, "Well, Predator is a classic and a beloved film," but it, you know, it didn't. It didn't do gangbusters when it came out. It did okay. It did well. It wasn't yeah. a super super hit. One of the things that I thought was interesting is I checked out the the rating. So the American rating system. So this came out as an NC-17, which in the UK means it's a 15. Um, Oh, really? I thought that would have... Yeah. Because I remember that that video was at 18. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry. It was was originally... My bad. It was originally an NC-17. Oh, okay. Which is, for us, an 18. Yeah. But they they cut it down, so it became a R-rated film, which is a 15. Apology. But, But it makes sense, because in this film, the kills are so not satisfying. If you're going to do this B-movie plot and you're going for that B-movie aesthetic and you're cast, in a way, B-movie actors, you know, uh, is it Robert Davies in it? Adam Baldwin? You know, apart from Danny yeah. Glover, everyone else is is, is pretty much B-movie. You would think you would make it hyper-violent, you know, Robocop, but they don't. Yeah. They, they cut it right down. There's, like, virtually no blood in this film. And again, it's, it's, another, it's another problem. It really it's a lot is. of weird off off screen killing. Off screen kills, cuts to light transitions. Um, it's really disappointing, and it, again, it hurts the film because 
you're then sort of like waiting for the finale and everything else is kind of plodding and a bit but, dull. Because sequels back then weren't like sequels now, right? There's there's no um, massive weight of expectation that when people make a film these days, what they're trying to do is, is start a franchise. The first film is the one that pulls people in and gets your IP out there. And it's the sequels that clean up. Like if you look at the sort of list of the 20 highest grossing films, most of them now are sequels. Mm. Like Lord of the Rings films have uh, made more money as they went along. Even Spider-Man 3 made more than the original Spider-Man. Mm. But, um, in the sort of 80s, 90s, you were expected to drop off. They they didn't expect a, a sequel to make the money of a of, of a first film. I get why they've... Uh, where they've slightly cheaped out on the uh, on the talent in front of and behind the camera, it does. Yeah, it's a bit odd that they've that they've chosen to neuter it like that. You've already got the violence. You've already got a gratuitous hairy fanny shot. So why not just <laughs> why not just go for um, a complete gore fest? Because quite yeah. frankly, the predator in this film he acts like Jason Voorhees anyway. He's yeah. he's this is. But for most of this film, it's a slasher film it's a because there's no slash. real, yeah, there's there's no real motivation. The, the the nuance of the hunter and the code and all that from the first one for me, they abandon that. Yeah, with the way that the yeah, predator that's... behaves in this film because he's not hunting uh, like he did in the first one. Fine, it's a sequel; you can do things differently. But I can only uh, I can only comment from the first one to this one. Forget about all the retcon stuff that goes on with these things. You know, there's a whole expanded universe with Predator. The Yout, do they call them the, uh, they've given them a name, haven't they? The Yautja. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with Star Wars. It's the same with any yeah. kind of beloved properties where more than happy for people to go off and create their own stories. Wonderful. If you want to try and fluff it up or apologize later on for things that they got incorrect or inconsistencies because of time, whatever, that's fine. One of the things that I read about for this film is that the Predator acts so inconsistently because he's a teenager. Uh, I have heard this theory. I think we heard this theory at one stage from the same person back in Leeds. And I thought it was bullshit back then as well. But you can retcon it all you want. The fact is, the Predator in this film acts so inconsistently from what we were sort of told in the first one. I'll give you an example. For opening scene. So we've, we've done all the action. Uh, we'll get straight to the end of the opening scene. So Danny Glover's come in. He's there's Colombians attacking police. The journalists are there. They're everywhere. They're on every scene. Um, he he ambushes them. They go into this building where they're locked up. They see an explosion, and then Danny Glover, throughout this film, ignores all authority and just goes in despite orders saying don't go in. Goes in, chases one of the Colombians. The scorpion is waiting. And he's yeah. on the roof. He shoots the scorpion down. He lands on a picnic table. You notice he lands on a picnic table. I, I assume yeah. it was like... He makes, a ga- he makes a gag out of it. He, he, makes, <laughs> he makes like a terrible gag about it later. He's, he's getting How lunch. does that table not break? If this is a table's <laughs> ladders... Uh... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if that, if that, was, that uh... table is getting broken. Bubba Ray Dudley's <laughs> putting you through that table. <laughs> Anyway, he doesn't break the table. He dies on the table, but he doesn't break it. Fine, yeah. whatever. The, the Predator's already picked Danny Glover out as the alpha male. Danny Glover draws a gun on it, 
and it just stands there and does not shoot. Now, in the first one, Arnold has been pointed out as the alpha male. We see this through the thermal in- imaging. Mm-hmm. But if Arnold hadn't set his little net trap when he was acting as bait, he would have killed Arnold then. Yeah. He's an opportune hunter. Yeah. He's the only not- reason why he doesn't kill Arnold is because the opportunity didn't arise. So why doesn't he kill Danny Glover in that point? Because we got 90 minutes of film to get through. <laughs> that opening 10 minutes, immediately I'm like, oh, this isn't the same Predator that was in the first one. So I don't care if he's a teenager or not. And that's the reason why Danny Glover, 54-year-old, got the better of him. And and that's why bollocks. It's... <laughs> you can't really explain away that inconsistency at the start of the film. Throughout the film, there are little things where they they make great pains to ensure that the Predator is kind of hobbled so that when it comes down to a one-on-one fight, it can be more... It reminded me of, um, you know, Rocky Balboa where the guy he's fighting breaks a hand really early in the fight. Yeah. So you have to give a an in-universe, in-film reason why this massively unequal fight could possibly consider, you know, conceivably be won by the the weaker member. But yeah, that's not an explanation for everything that goes on there. That's just, that's later in the film. I guess, um, I don't know, what's, what I guess is disappointing is that... Um, the fact that this is a city and not a jungle. So when it's a jungle, it's hostile territory for Dutch and it's hostile territory for the, for the, the special forces because it's hostile territory for everyone. It's awkward terrain. It's, it's difficult. It's, um, it's a much better environment for the predator than it is for the humans. Whereas the city, I don't feel like they used it enough as a character and as a setting to be a hindrance for a predator because the city is constantly full of people right so this thing seems to have absolutely no problem in even though it's wearing the cloaking device it's still just like stomping through city streets and jumping over shit and making a massive mess which you would think that if it was gonna be true to this character that it's um a methodical hunter that you know you would have a you would have a lot more stalk sequences, you know. Uh, I'm so glad you said that. The real reason why this film got made was because Dark Horses Comics created a, a series. Fox got the rights to okay. Aliens and Predators, um, did an AVP comic series beforehand, but they with Predator created the this series called Concrete Jungle. I bought the the one that this film was essentially based on. I'm not going to go into the detail of the story. Um, I read it. It's 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 good. It's fine. Uh, I had it as a had it as a younger pup, and uh, thought I would buy mm-hmm. it uh, and look at it for the this review. And essentially, a lot of the a lot of the elements in that film are in this one. Uh, predators taking down gangs. Uh, the fundamental difference is they still they have a cop predator, mano a mano, but it's Dutch's brother who okay suspiciously looks a lot like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but instead of instead of him, obviously we have Danny Glover. Now in a comic, the visuals look great. In this film, you're totally right. The jungle was a character in itself, and in this film, the cityscape and the urban environment they just don't utilize it as a character at all. Whether or not it's the choice of the director and the way that he shot the film, there just isn't enough scenes where the predator is believably 
traversing in this cityscape. There's one shot where the Predator's climbing. It's like Adam West <laughs> in Batman, yeah. isn't it? Yes, it is. I don't even think he's touching the walls. Yeah, his hands are... The, the weird rubber gloves are just sort of slipping on the thing. It's... Um, it looks... It looks... It looks ridiculous. Yeah. I just think, don't have that shot. Well, I mean, use use what you've got. So, I mean, he's got the um the two big spikes that come out from his wrist. Why isn't it... I mean, if he has to scramble up a wall, let's say, if you know, out of desperation... Why not use those as if, um, like, like they're cramp? Was it the crampons and the and the little pickaxes that you use when you yeah, climb yeah. in a mountain? Like, doesn't that make sense to to have him use his advantages? But yeah, watching these rubber gloves just sort of slip and slide next to some masonry is um is 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 a bit weird. One of the things I do, and I'll give the give credit to the filmmakers and the writers, is that they at least withhold some information about the predator and their culture so some of the mystique is still maintained yeah they at least hold back a little bit i'll, I'll give them some credit that there is some restraint like the the close the closing sequence where they where they they all gather around yeah yeah they exactly they they do hold back they could have gone you know full alien covenant and prometheus and hmm. destroyed any mystery surrounding the creatures um, they they don't do that. They just give you little hints, but with with one positive, must we balance the universe with a negative? Um, they, <laughs> in restraining themselves, they also don't really give us enough new information outside of the technology that the predator, you know, outside of the new weapon. You could say that the predator is acting differently, and this is me being generous. And this is a new predator, and this predator is going to be playing cat and mouse with our protagonist yeah. and which is what he does it makes no sense i don't understand it um he's supposed to be hunting not teasing let's let's okay. talk bill paxton i love bill paxton and so immediately you put bill paxton in a film he's already got my empathy i'm already on his side but by god does this film try really hard to make <laughs> me hate him this is probably his worst ever performance well i think the the idea is that they're trying to make him insufferable and then you pivot on him as you go through and you realize, oh, he's a dick, but, you know, he gets results. And that his, you know, these terrible jokes sort of become endearing. And also that he gets, you know, he has to sacrifice himself. Oh, he gets a proper heroic death. I'll give him that. Yeah. But yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> the way he shifts through the gears of that, of that arc, if that is the arc they're going for, is, um, it's very annoying. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being harsh. He's he's awful in this film. He's, de- he's deeply irritating. It's it's irritating in the way that he's irritating in True Lies, but at least with that one, it's intentional and it's targeted. And he's got funny jokes in it. Yeah, the jokes in this film are not funny. Ask like a ten-year-old boy will get a chuckle out of me every time. <laughs> None of the lines in this are getting anything out of me apart from contempt. What, what about bo and barbecue? <laughs> it's a fucking terrible line. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. So all I'm going to say to our listeners is if if you think Bill Paxton can't act and you've only ever seen him in this film, please go and watch One False Move or A Simple Plan. Mm-hmm. He's Simple great in those great. films. He's great. He can act. Frailty. Um, it's been that right? Yeah, yeah. And even if you just want to see Bill Paxton doing goofy and fun, go back and watch Weird Science. You know, <laughs> He is terrible in this film. 
uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it there. No more Bill Paxton hate because the man's got my love. Yeah. So we go from uh, Danny Glover giving him uh, this the speech to cut to uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know what the Colombians are snipping, <laughs> but Devlin, God damn it, give me some. That sounds like and the best sex ever. Um, it's, it's. I'll it's tell you now, as, as an eight-year-old lad watching this film, yeah, I was excited for puberty. <laughs> Uh, um, wow, I don't know how to follow that up. Oh, hang on. I can follow it up by saying um, she makes for an interesting IMDb read. Oh, well, I didn't check her out. I just assumed that she was a day player. She's a legitimate pornographic actress. Well, that'll explain the wonderful orgasm she's having. It's, it's a very, very dramatic. It's probably the most ridiculously dramatic. It's, um, it's probably only defeated by uh, Elizabeth Berkeley on Kyle MacLachlan in the pool in showgirls yeah you don't get any splashing in this yeah yeah i I would say that showgirls is definitely the most awkward sex ever i agree on screen but i'm sure someone one of our listeners will send us a message that will suggest otherwise well we'll, we'll, you know if if people do want to leave a little comment we'll, we'll keep a um we'll keep a table somewhere public and we can we can rank these things she is in exorcist territory having a great time and then the jamaican voodoo posse break in and get the colombian drug lord uh, and string him up now devlin i've got a quick question when you're raiding your enemies and you need to string them up i always forget to take my candles do you (laughs) they just they brought their they brought their candles a little coconut (laughs) Coconut. and also their blood, uh-huh. their little blood pouch. Yeah, and the little brush as well. It's like a pastry brush. It's sort of bizarre that anyone thought of these things, and then subsequently wrote them down, and then made them into a real film. Like just from conception through to execution, the depiction of the Jamaican gang is inexplicable. In 1990, who cares about Jamaicans? This would not fly in 2018. Um, however, in 1990, I just don't think they really gave a shit. You know, they are wearing gold gold trousers, which are outrageous. I mean, I don't even think you'd find them on ASOS. They're that crazy. But also, they he is spouting off yeah. some seriously dodgy dialogue. Fucking voodoo magic, man. Ah, you lose... Sorry, in my own. Do I lose? Own, am I? Am I not? In my, no. Am I, am I missing? In, in my own head, I was having a. I was having a little internal competition as to which one of us is going to crack first and do a racist caricature impression of a Jamaican. Oh well, that will always be me. <laughs> These Jamaicans are outrageous, yeah. and let us let us not forget the Colombians that are all depicted as just drug drug lords and drug pushers and you know. oh well, yeah like uh you know what it reminds me of is uh kingdom of the crystal skull which i never want to be reminded of but i am the the weird native people who hide in walls mm-hmm. apparently they've always been behind a wall and yeah. the le- this with their terribly inefficient uh method of um breaking out from their hiding places which is to smash the walls down which means they can never hide again or no. maybe they're really good at uh, uh, plaster work. But you know, like that, 
like sort of dehumanized to the point where they're yeah. you know they, they, they become their own filmic trope and Colombians yeah. just tend to be oh Colombians oh they do drugs right of course yeah it's um it's pretty offensive that said difficult for me and you to kind of get on our high horses about it and i think we've kind of labored labored on the point oh but yeah anyway, we, we have these we have this jamaicans cutting out the heart doing voodoo which we've already established that jamaicans don't do uh and then the predator hunts them now devlin i'm going to get into something i'm hoping mm-hmm. you're going to give me some some insight because i'm lost in the first film the predator is hunting down a elite squad as carl weather says some damn fool said you were the best yep so we know that these guys are highly trained, badass motherfuckers. Why is the Predator hunting these gang members? They're not trained. Mm. They've got shitty guns. Yeah. And also, what? What's? I don't really get what his end game is. It's not really. So hunting if he's here either, to hunt, it? it's like. No, he's not. He's just. Fighting. He's just slaying. Like I said, this this just feels like a horror film now. Yeah. We're just taking out people. Body count. Seeing his new tech, which, again, I don't mind it. I think some of the some of the. You know, especially the the net that gets fired, you know, is really cool, especially in 1990. The net is um, cool, but and the um, the spear, you know, the extendable spear, great stuff. I'm not sure about the little fork thing that becomes our major oh, plot that, point. Yeah, that. Um, that I'm not sure about that. Is, that looks uh, a bit naff. Yeah, but but either way, what is he doing? This this doesn't feel like a challenge at all for the predator. This just seems this is like having a six foot man fight a small three foot man and have his arms stuck out. This isn't, this is no, this is no hmm. challenge whatsoever. Well, he, he did um, kill and skin those pilots off screen in the first predator, which is why they ended up having to go down there. Mm, yeah. But they were, they had green beret, didn't they on, on board? Uh, that, I'm uh, not sure what boat? exactly the pilots were, were there for, but I do remember. So there is precedent for there being, you know, lesser kills before the big kill. just random um, yeah okay okay well maybe i'm being nitpicky but it it really it just no. it didn't make sense to me that the predator would come to a city environment and instead of going after a swat team i understand that they don't want to do exactly the same thing as the first film but by crikey they end up doing the same thing as the first film yeah. they just put it in different clothes they don't mess with the they don't mess with the scaffolding of the story on too too much. No, they do not. They think they think that there's a really big dichotomy between the two films. Trust me, there is not. Yeah, um, I couldn't make heads or tails of it if I'm honest with you. But I did like some of the some of the the ways that the the predator takes down these uh, these Jamaican voodoo posse. Mm. Um, and there's a gratuitous uh, hairy fanny shot, as I said. Which, which is what what you were all about in nineteen ninety one slash ninety two. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I was eight. I was eight years old, Devlin. Forgive me. You are forgiven. God bless you. Thanks. So Danny and the team, Danny Glover and the team, uh, head up to this apartment to um, investigate all these weird skinned corpses. I actually really like the production design in that. But um, especially once the um, it's the aftermath of the of the great culling. And you just see this this place has been shattered and all these corpses hanging up and stuff. I don't know, just uh, the lighting in it. I remember there's one of the, um, there's quite a few scenes where I just think this is, you know, it's not flashy and it's not glorious, but it's it's really 
above competent, which sounds like damning with faint praise, but when you're in this kind of realm, um, this is, you know, this is good. I like watching films where it's not ugly, like where somebody knew how to put a light. Yeah, I agree. I think the production design, the lighting, the way that, that they... The, the bodies are strung up, and you get a, you get a nice little. Um, I wouldn't even say it was a jump scare. The I don't think anyone actually be scared by it. But the music gives you a sting, and Bill Paxton's like, ah, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, a callback to the first one. Oh, how many callbacks there are to the first one! Um, but yeah, you get it's the same Remember, um... it's the same thing played out in a slightly different way. And as you said, um, I'll give Stephen Hopkins some credit for that. Yeah, yeah. do you remember when you were talking about? Jurassic Park and how you went to see it a bunch of times, but that you know back then films were less accessible and you didn't um you didn't see films as frequently. Do you think this kind of retread was easier to get away with or more acceptable because unlike now where people might forensically pick through a film five or six times before they go and see a follow up, people would have seen Predator probably once three years ago. And maybe never since, or maybe at best once since then. So just kind of trotting out such a familiar story that maybe you could get away with it a little more. I think there's probably, yeah, I think there's probably something in that. Um, like you, you mentioned it before you touched upon sequels of the era. Um, and, and mm. you know, I think about to like just, Jaws, you know, that... Jaws 2 was such a retread, but they kind of, they just framed it in a uh, teen slasher film because that was the film of the era at that point was slashers, you know, Friday the 13th, yeah. um, Nightmare on Elm Street. They, they were, the, they were the, that was the popular, uh, that was the popular genre and that was what was, you know, bums on seats. That was what we were doing. What's, what's ironic is if this film were to be made now or in the last couple of years, some of these callbacks and references would be, yeah actively applauded like oh like the first one um but the problem with this film is this is only three years after the first one and they're not really doing anything new with the character that's the problem i say the character i mean the predator so we're not really outside of the technology we're not really getting anything new like we've already talked about how he's in the film but he's not really in the film i would have liked to have seen why the predator decided to attack these gang members you know did, was he was he cognitive of everything that was going on could he understand the the politics of the gangs and actually he wanted to try and stoke up more animosity between them to create more conflict because we know that he's drawn by conflict are they that intelligent yeah i don't really know i'm clutching at straws it almost feels just there really i see it now he's just there for a body count and because we're treading this this plot whereby we're going to play a cat and mouse game and it's a it's a police procedural where they're going to investigate the predator and by happenstance it turns into a sci-fi film similar to the first one whereby arnold doesn't realize he's in a sci-fi film and he's about to fight an alien but unlike in the first one where um he's he's bound by the jungle and we've got a ticking time you know, we've got a ticking clock and we need to get to the chopper and all that kind of stuff that's supporting that narrative. In this film, I don't really know what the Predator is doing. Like I said, he just, he if he's if he's got such a bloodlust, he should just be out killing everybody. Um, he isn't. He's been selective 
Uh, and and once he's picked Danny Glover, he's just going to kill people that Danny Glover have either interacted with or is interested in. I don't really know how he knows that, other than he's stalking him. And that, that to me, again, feels yeah. like a uh, sort of a horror trope. Of, of a, and he, again, we're talking about Stephen Hopkins, who's just come from Nightmare on Elm Street. So maybe there's a little bit in that. Just, yeah, you know, it gives you a bit more license to play it to the cheap seats. Keep it a bit dumb. Namely, me and you were eight. Of course. Well, I, you know, I was thinking this. Um, I was I was putting the um, I was putting the the um the the site together and um you know putting up our posts and stuff and um and do these little the little sketches and and I realised that when when I put the two together that we've covered like the sort of the two great acting icons of the twentieth century, sort of. I mean, maybe outside of late twentieth century. Certainly, nineteen seventy onwards. You know, we go De Niro, Pacino, and now Sir Dame Sir Gerald Boosie. So um, we really are covering all the uh, all the legends. Well, I well I know him. Um, a couple of years later, he makes Under Siege, mm-hmm. and I think he's great in Under Siege. I think a year later, he's in Point Break, which I think he's brilliant in Point Break um, as. Uh, but I mean, he's already lost his fucking mind by this point. So, I mean... I'm gonna, I'm gonna let's let's contextualize Gary Busey's madness. He was in a horrific motorcycle accident where he needed reconstructive surgery on his face, which is why he looks weird. Um, just generally, I think, no, he looks, I think no, he, I yeah, bad. no, I don't want to, I don't want to make you seem like the bad guy, Devs, but these things, these things, <laughs> you just I did. Just keep going. So with that's it. why he's got these amazing uh, veneers uh, that look like they can definitely get right. through a whole raw carrot. Um, he's or or the the scenery. Yeah, and all he scenery. fucking uses those ashes to do the scenery. <laughs> but you know what? God bless Gary Boosie for understanding what kind of film he's in, because either he's mental and he thinks he's making <clears throat> Close Encounters of the Third Kind, or he totally gets it. Either way. He is one of the characters that he's not really fun in these early scenes. He's just playing the the antagonist, and you know something's rotten in Denmark with him. Well, it's, you can tell because uh, all his all his mates turn up in mirrored all his mates turn up in mirrored sunglasses. Can we can we talk about his mates, the yeah. junior G men? Yeah. In the first one, we have these pumped up Arnold Schwarzenegger eighties action heroes, yeah. and in this one, though it's nineteen ninety, but it's really ninety seven. We do, we want to do something different. We don't want to make them all the. We don't want to make them all, um, you know, look like Arnold. So we'll make them look like these straight laced, uh, Boy Scout, slicked hair. Mm. And do you remember Naf Naf the brand? I do. Yeah. It's like those black bomber jackets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what they are wearing Naf Naf bomber jackets, yeah. which were um, were, no, were not allowed in my primary school because naff was deemed a swear word. Yeah. Because uh, I had one and I had it confiscated. Oh my god. Uh, these guys look as as intimidating as I did in primary <laughs> school. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> if this is what the predator is going to go up against later on, which by the way it is, yeah, you're not going to get any dramatic tension out of me. He's going to slaughter the fuck out of these yeah. geeks. Uh, it, it makes no sense that Gary Boosie with his little fat pot belly. And and I'll give give them credit. They got Adam Baldwin, who at this point had been in Full Metal Jacket mm. as uh, was he like Mother Killer or something like. That. He had a weird weird name. He was like the tough guy. Right. In there. 
But Adam Baldwin before he, um, is just... This is before he came one of those... Before Firefly. Yeah, and also um, subsequently became one of those horrible assholes who um, hounds women on Twitter because he's angry at computer mm-hmm. games. He's the Gamergate guy. Yeah. That's all his fault, you know. Is yeah. he? Well, it's not all his fault. Yeah. But he was certainly a, a prime mover in the in the in the gang i was so disappointed because i really like firefly but you know i know and i i know he's not related to any of the baldwins but now that means i have to put him below billy in the the hated of the baldwins for me was billy always below steven for you what's your bold what's your baldwin rankings well alec is obviously the best (laughs) steven steven is next the one that was in vampires uh john carpenter's vampires yeah, yeah, the fat one. Then, then it was always Billy at the bottom. But now Adam, if I know that he's some sort of twi- twi- Twitter yeah. troll, oof, there's, a, there's a mouthful. Uh, then he's going to have to go to the bottom. Oh, I'm fair. <laughs> I guess Stephen Bolden's a weird one because um, he's he's like a he's a, a, a big like a right winger. Like you know, he's a big kind of very vocal. Oh, I don't get into the politics. Dude, I separate the, I know, I know. the man from the artist. The man was in Biodome. Separate the Come man on. from the the lesser iteration of Barney Rubble. Listen, I don't want to get into it, but if Kevin Spacey shook me <laughs> on the willy when he introduced himself, I would say that's in, that's not the right thing to do, Kevin. But I loved you in the Usual Suspects. I separate the man from the artist. <laughs> <laughs> we get back to Predator 2 <laughs> anyway these junior G-men who are wearing naff yep. naff jackets are yeah. shit and this is before the X-Files so we couldn't even have cool alien investigators we've got these guys um, yeah and they've just got these clearly they've just taken them from the crew these little mm. spotlights uh, <laughs> they just they put around oh, okay. the scene. Sorry, I, th- I thought it was, oh, a, there was, there was weird the, a weird line of dialogue. Um, it almost sounds ADR'd when uh, uh, Bill Paxton's about to walk into the apartment block and say something like, nice flashlight, can I borrow it? Oh, it's 100% yeah. ADR'd. It's, it's, yeah. uh... Oh, Bill, we've got a great line for you for another joke. Yeah, I'm <laughs> way up for that. Oh, he, he should have sacked yeah. his agent. Well, he was young. We're introduced to Peter Keys. He's the shifty agent bloke. I think they're trying to say that they're DEA. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the DEA, you know, don't confiscate naked porn stars and put them in their helicopter yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to fast forward a little bit into the plot. Um, Danny Glover, I don't. This doesn't make any sense. There's loads of scenes that don't make sense. I think the editing in this film speaks. And I know this now for a fact because I haven't done research, but having watched it again as a sort of as an adult, you kind of notice these things. Characters just manage to move from one place to another, but without any logical sense. So Danny Glover, Bill mm. Paxton, and Maria Conchito Alonso go to a what looks like some yes. sort of shitty Irish bar, and for some reason, Danny Glover doesn't take. He sends Danny Boy. Danny back Boy and to says. The Oh, does he? No, but he says, I will meet you back here. Why didn't he just go with him and just go together? It didn't. I, 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 again, maybe there was a scene cut out, and I think that was probably what happened. But this just made no sense. I'll see you back. And this will happen again, yeah. by the way, and I'll point it out later on. But Danny boy, I'll meet you back here. Don't be, don't be too early, Danny boy. Danny boy. That's it. Predator records it. 
Again, Predator acting a little bit not Predator-like. He waits there for Danny Boyd he to go back. He waits there like the supernatural killer from a slasher movie. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It is quite a... Well, it starts off as quite a cool kill. I mm. like the way that he's cloaked and then he kind of disturbs him. Danny Boyd's trying to pick out this little um, this little yeah. fork that the Predator shot out. You know, I mentioned before that there's a little fork that was a little bit rubbish. Um, it goes up and hits uh, an air vent, and he's trying to capture that. And they make they make reference to it when they're investigating the scene initially. Uh, and he goes up, and he's got this little headlamp, which is good. He was prepared. Uh, and then the predator just sort of puts his arm out, so he captures it. It's quite. Cool. Right. I, I didn't mind that. I thought it was quite cool. Tran- transitions into a weird again one of those like bloodless off-screen kill. It's like someone farted <laughs> a little bit of blood out. It's like a pipette of blood. I was ex- so there's yeah. a big horrible screen. Well, you expect the torrents, right? If you're gonna do it off screen, you can do it like um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street one, gushing. I'm gonna top that. I'm gonna top it. Oh wow! Shining That's elevator. <laughs> I'm expecting yeah. a gush of blood. No, it's a pipette, but it is so unsatisfying. Yeah. Later on, we find out you know a doctor. Doctor Exposition who says why does you know, he was boned like a fish. To... Well, yeah. Why does she have to be such a strange, like a like a horror again, like a horror character? But this time, like going way back, it's like a nineteen forties German horror character. Why uh, is she so creepy? Because this film is really cheap, and even though that they try and pretend that they've shown you loads of these city scenes, yeah, they're going to just stay in this lab for this middle part of the film. Um, it's why we're going to skip over <laughs> it. It's really rubbish. And it doesn't really do anything. Should we just get straight to... So Danny Glover speaks to Maria Cachito Alonso. I'll give her this. This is one of the scenes that she actually does something. He says to her, uh, I need to speak to King Willie because uh, me and him seem to have the same problem. No. I'm not entirely convinced of that, but um, we don't see the scene where she rings them. They just turn up. Bill Paxton's trying to take down the, the car registration. I would just suggest that there aren't that many cars with zebra roofs. <laughs> I think it'd be yeah. pretty easy to find that car. There's, there's also probably not that many cars that are just chugging out marijuana smoke like a big giant industrial <laughs> chimney. What? Wanna smoke some ganja, man? <laughs> Two nil. Two By the way, this me. isn't me. This isn't me. This is the yeah. film. I, you can't throw this at I, me. I'm doing quotes. So, yeah, but he drives off to see King Willie. Can we talk yeah. about King Willie? And how rubbish it well, is. Well, and also that um, if we're talking about how this is basically just mapping a lot of scenes onto the previous script and just tweaking little things, Willie is not that far away from Billy. And if you want to have... Uh, a, you're, you're too smart a, for this. A film. magical, uh, <laughs> a quasi-mystical character of a different non-white race who is going to who is going to say something bullshit that sounds very profound, but actually doesn't mean a, a fucking thing and then dies. Yeah. That's it's, it's Hollywood's greatest trope when it comes down to those mystical yeah. foreigners that have got all this insight. Yeah. He, this, this whole scene, there's some cool shots in it. Yeah. And there are some uh, really creative ways that they display the predator. But at this point, we've already seen it, yeah. so it's almost like, oh, this would be really good if it was the first film and we didn't know what the Predator looked like, but we do. You know, you're, you're right. If um, if that sequence where he dismantles the Jamaican crew 
if they'd have managed to shoot that smarter and keep him off screen a bit more because they, they do a good job of um you know they're, they're telegraphing the thing that comes up later which is that water messes with his uh cloaking system which is also carried over from the first film as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know the way he's stepping in the puddles and the and the, his feet are kind of sparking yep yeah and that he's still cloaked but his reflection isn't which is actually I, I hesitate to say clever yeah, no, no, I, I, you I, know, no, give it, him, it gets I'm, this one. I'm gonna give him, I'll give it Steve gets Cox this one uh, credit. I think this is really well done. Uh, the music yeah. really works in this scene. Sorry, I was gonna say they they mention later in the in the little truck in the little airstream trailer that um his cloaking devices that he ref, he refracts light around himself, mm-hmm. and thus it makes sense that his reflection would not be able to do so. Right, I actually think you're totally on point. Unfortunately. Uh, this is the second film, therefore any mystery is kind of lost, and this scene yeah. doesn't really actually do anything. What does Danny Glover learn, other than nothing? He's from the other side. You don't see the eyes of the demon until he comes. Until Carlin. him come, Carlin. That's about yeah. it. Okay, Mister Policeman, Babylon, and any other Jamaican stereotype, racist dialogue yeah. that I can think of. That's it. So it doesn't really surmount to anything. And this is the moment where the film goes, you know, all that stuff about gangs. Eh, don't worry about it. We'll just get rid of it. Well, yeah, he's de- he's dead now. So yeah. we've we've already slaughtered the entire Colombian gang. We've slaughtered. We, we, apparently, it seems that we'd killed quite a lot of the Jamaican gang. But then there's still a carload of Jamaican mm-hmm. gang members who seem fine and untroubled enough to be uh, smoking out a car perpetually. My first rewatch, I was gonna. I was wondering why the Jamaicans aren't going after Danny Glover because mm-hmm. he's the last person to see him. But on the second yeah. rewatch, I do notice that the car's still there. He gets in the car and they must be able to see. I don't know why their boss, this this under, this under kingpin uh, of the Jamaican voodoo posse, like hangs out in an alleyway um, <laughs> and has no armed guards. And, and yes. again, this is me. Hangs out uh, alone, yeah, in an alleyway yeah. with, with what seems like no access to anything. But again, this is where if we maybe had more uh, perspective from the Predator and how he's choosing these worthy kills, maybe we would understand why the hell he gives a fuck about King Willie. He, we, yeah. we, we get the scene, which again, a bit like Billy, where he um, decorates his skull and he puts it down into his trophy room and that's where we see the alien skull a little bit for the first time, but we'll get into it later yep. on. Um, so this is a worthy kill, apparently, according to Predator. Why? Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. a little. He's got a little sword, and all we've ever heard of King Willie is a few off bit of exposition in dialogue about him being this Jamaican drug lord who brought yeah. all the gangs together. That's true. Good, uh, good smash cut, though, isn't it? To his yeah, I do screaming, like it. His uh, screaming I head do. being carried away. We move on. Yeah, we have uh, so King Willie's dead, mm-hmm. and this is where the police in all their wisdom, start connecting the dots. Danny was killed. Yeah. And then you went to see King Willie, and King Willie was killed. Danny Glover, the, this guy is playing with you, because they keep referring to him as like, this, go- this guy, this new guy. Well, they, they say um, uh, military guy, because they think that he's like, military trained because of how efficient he is at, at killing people. I don't know whether they say yeah, that. They, they, they maybe only say it once or twice. But... Yeah, they, they forget to identify the poor marks in blood in the Colombian scenes yes. that are that are really noticeable. 
and in the bathroom in the opening scene. So yeah, maybe they should have checked out the the pause, but yeah, it is what it is. Military mm-hmm. wearing gloves. Oh, yep. I tell you what, I'm going to point something out that didn't make mm-hmm. any sense. We'll give them a pass because we're in 1997, and maybe in 97, everyone in LA uses the underground. Again, if this had been in New York, it would make sense. But in LA, it really doesn't. But even in New York, why the hell are detectives, plainclothes detectives, getting the metro? Well, he specifically tells them to take the metro. Why aren't they getting the car that they definitely have? Because Bill Paxton earlier in the film was tracking and following keys. Also because that's how police get around. Oh, it makes no sense. And even Bill Paxton calls it out and says, oh, I hate, you know, train at rush hour. Like, yeah, so do I. You ever been on Scott Rail? If I can avoid it, I will get the fucking yeah. car. It's... That said, this Metro still looks better than Scott Rail. <laughs> I hate Scott Oh, Rail. my God. We're in, we're in the cemetery, aren't we? And, and, and this is... It's a very short scene. All of these scenes, like, they, they just kind of blip through. Yeah, they do, don't they? I mean, it does feel like uh, we had a two-and-a-half-hour film but it was rubbish, so can we just get it, get it, cut it right down to, right, what do we need to know? And let's move on and move on and move on. We, again, we're, we're calling back to the first film with uh, Predator's got a code of conduct and he doesn't kill, you know, doesn't kill yep. un, unarmed people. And now he doesn't kill kids because that's how I took it, is that he, he yeah. registers the gun, but he also registers the kid. Not that he recognizes it's a toy gun. More oh, that he recognizes that it's a child. That's how I saw it. Yeah, I, I, I just thought he was he was rifling he was rifling through it, much like um, like in the Terminator Two scene when he's walking through and he's identifying, you know, the various things that he's looking at and classifying what is and isn't mm. a threat. If you want to be generous, you can say I'm being harsh, saying it's an inconsistency, or you can say the predator is doing something different. Mm. And he's teasing his prey, leaving the necklace there. But I don't get it. Baiting Danny Glover. Why doesn't he just kill him? He's got a gun. It's the second time he could have killed him. But instead, he's just going to tease him and play with him. Um, it makes no sense whatsoever. It doesn't. Uh, it, really, it really baffles me. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to be able to impose some sort of logic on it. We're into like a, ta- a taunting territory, which whether it's that he wants to yeah. provoke exactly Danny Glover into more of a direct confrontation, but I don't know. I, I would say that if if we wanted to go for like consistency, and I think it matters more in this film than it does in the first film because we're just we're given an extra ninety slash hundred minutes of screen time. So the cumulative running time that we've been with this creature means that we have to be we have to be more vigilant as to what this character is is, is doing. And it is a character, even though it's a an antagonist and it's a monster and that in many ways it has to be kept ineffable to keep it interesting. Whereas in the first one when you think about it, like, you know, this hunter being the great hunter, most of its great hunting is just achieved by smashing through inferior humans with a giant plasma cannon that can't, that can't miss because it's laser sighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but that, you know, that probably works better because it's a little self-contained first film. And the more you sprawl out with this character, the more it matters why the character does what it does. So maybe this one's getting a lot of the shit that the first film didn't get what? in terms of, you know, character inconsistencies. But it brings it on itself by by making these inconsistencies. So. It does. And because the audience is uh, two steps ahead of the characters that are in the film, all you've really got to hang your hat on is, well, okay, how's the what's the Predator doing? Outside of that, we're watching 
yeah. people catch up to the audience, and there's no fun in that whatsoever. I would have much preferred Danny Glover understand that this is a an alien earlier in the film, and then him do the things that Arnold does in the first mm. one, where he flips. Well, it would have made a lot more sense. Like we were saying that if they use the city as an environment to their advantage, this time, you know, Danny Glover's character is on home turf. There's a lot more you can do with it. So we go into the Metro, and Bill Paxton and Maria Conchita Alonso, for no reason whatsoever, are on there. Uh, we have gangs, and this is this is where we uh, we have mm. another attempt at satire and humour. You know, the gang are picking on some sort of nerdy-looking bloke, and he pulls out a gun and very Clark Kent. Look. Yeah, it is a little bit, isn't it? So they do this whole thing, and maybe in maybe if they did this now, this would be like, oh yeah, you know, gun culture in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it doesn't really work, you know. You see a granny with a gun, and then then the predator comes, crashes in. This is not the first time that a character will say something that makes no sense whatsoever with regards to where they are in the film. Bill Paxton says, "It's him." It's off screen. Says, "It's him. He's here." To Maria Conchito Alonso, referring to this mystery killer that's been going around killing everyone. How the hell does he know that? Oh. I have no idea. It makes no sense whatsoever, Devlin. I think um, I would say go back and watch it, but I think I know what you're going to say. They, he comes in, crashes in, and then this is where the strobe light comes in, and we just see off-screen deaths again in yeah. thermal imaging. Which, by the way, we haven't even mentioned it, but they use the thermal imaging way, way too much in this. Yeah, too much. Yeah, it was used. It was used um, well in the first one, mainly to establish this threat mm-hmm. that we can't see but in this they just use it well, it's a, it's a crutch and also it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird one it's a weird one to use because when you shift your perspective like that when you shift the audience's perspective into the again it's like we're talking about this is um kind of a, a second rate slasher movie this is the well you start identifying with the killer this right the pov shot that's the whole idea of a pov yeah. So, um, yeah, this is like back in the old, you know, Giallo movies and stuff. Um, back in the old, like, Italian horrors of the 70s that then sort of bled over into the slashes of the 80s. You know, behind the camera, the hands creep out. This is the same as that, just with a bit more technology behind it. It also doesn't really make any sense that the Predator, this kind of great alpha hunter, would just smash his way through the roof of a train carriage and just like walk head is what he seems at this point to be impervious to bullets because he just keeps walking headlong into a hail of bullets when bill paxton when all the gang members are dead and he is firing point blank and this is a policeman who will be a trained who's apparently has a reputation as despite the fact that he's uh kind of a joke and kind of a knobhead he is uh he has a reputation yeah he's supposed to be he's he's competent right yeah, he's a, good, he's a good cop. He's firing point blank, un, undisturbed. And I took it as a kid that the that the um, the cloak was like somehow some kind of armor. Yeah. Because these bullets just do not hit him. And he unloads two clips. He takes yeah. one, you know, he empties one, reloads and fires but as, again. As we learned from the first film, if it bleeds, we can kill it. They shoot it whilst it's cloaked. Yeah, it it doesn't really yeah. make sense. I guess the only uh, the only thing you could say is maybe every single shot hits some of the predator's armor, but that's 
a bit yeah. of a reach. Because uh, he just sort of, he just slowly, Jason Voorhees walks towards Bill Paxton um, and then he throws yep. a golf ball and that's his, that's his heroic death. Again, off screen, really unsatisfying. But on the, on the other hand, it's, um, it's yet another set piece. And I noticed that the timings of these things, like... Oh, they're on point, right? We're only about 15 minutes after Danny died. We get another scene where we demonstrate the Predator's code. You know, Maria yes. Tichita Alonso, she's the only one who's got the the insight. Again, it must have been a Scott Rail uh, driver because he doesn't hear all the commotion that's going on in the back. She's the only one who presses the emergency stop. She go, Once it's stopped and everyone's left the train... Uh, she goes back. She sees Bill Paxton hung up with mm-hmm. the gang members. Predator grabs her, and then we get a shot of a pretty fully grown fetus in her body, and the yes. predator doesn't kill her. What did you think of that? I remember thinking it's it's an interesting little wrinkle. Like it's it's stuff like this is like you said they they do some good stuff with the law like the kind of the general culture. So yeah, I, I think that's a, I think it's an interesting choice. Um, again, it kind of, it kind of barrels through it, but I think it's good. I think it's, it's, it's good to get anything that expands the, the mythos beyond what we've already seen. I, I quite liked it. I just wish we'd had uh, a little bit more time with her character and maybe she had more to do. There was a whole subplot where she was a, a lesbian character, but that she had mm-hmm. slept with Danny Glover and that it was Danny Glover's child, which is why oh, later wow. on in the scene, when the doctor, the paramedics, sorry, sorry uh, say, this, oh, this woman's pregnant, he kind of pulls a weird, there's a weird reaction. It's not necessarily like a, oh, thank God she's alive. It's a sort of, ooh, whoops. Uh, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird reaction. Um, uh, I know we were asking for, um, I know we were asking for more characterization. I think that might be. Um, we're into LA law, then, aren't we? Sort we're into drift, sort of like drifting. Yeah, we're drifting into the realms of like you can pull this off in a in a twelve episode series. I don't know whether you can get all of this across in a ninety minute film, which is let's not forget about an alien hunter murdering people. Then nah. another line of a character saying something that makes no sense and is not motivated by anything that we've seen up to this point. The captain uh, just, <laughs> just sort of pops up from the bottom of the frame. And like, uh, yep. <laughs> uh, do you know where Jerry is? Like, oh, no, we found his badge. And then, it, and then he asked the question I was asking. It doesn't make any sense. He's just, uh, it's a bunch of commuters and gang members this time. Danny Glover says something that doesn't make oh. any sense. He goes, yeah. they were all armed, which is a callback mm. to the first one. But in that one, it kind of made sense that Arnold would jump to that conclusion. He's had a couple of encounters with this thing already. Danny Glover, yeah. this just makes no sense whatsoever. This just feels like, oh, remember the first one? Yeah, they're all armed. And he's just come to that conclusion. doesn't make any sense. Then he goes out of the, the train and... Can you explain why the Predator screams when he rips out Bill Paxton's spine? Because it's not Bill Paxton. Because <laughs> we've already seen he's dead. Yeah, it's just a, it's another it's another person, right? Because you just see like a corpse on the tracks, but you don't know who it is. No, I no, I didn't. No, it's Bill Paxton because it's, it's it? the jacket. Oh, yeah. If you look at well, yeah. go back and watch the film. 
it's the same weird right brownie horrible jacket so he's he's, he's strung paxton up to be found by danny and then he comes and no no not to be found by danny to be found by maria conchito alonso then when he attacked her then he takes bill paxton's body waits for danny glover to find him rips out his spine and then exits left up the stairs yeah it makes no sense Mm, no i think um a lot of decisions were made viscerally not in story terms it was like this is oh you'll be this is a thing that has to happen now to 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 drag an audience through this scene just like they'll go with it they'll go with this (laughs) because because uh, somebody's running like a perpetual motion machine there's always going to be a thing happening so you don't need to worry about specifically what it is barreling through now and then we are without even realizing it we are entering we're in the end game pretty much yeah we're pretty much in the third act Uh, Danny Glover starts chasing the predator uh, across the roo- uh, the roofs. Uh, I know that this was extended, and they cut this down. I'm glad they did. Um, it would have been a weird. Uh, then, can you explain why? Uh, I guess it's like symbolic. Um, you know, the predator taking oh, the lifting skyscraper and and calling down. Because it, it looks awesome. I remember that so clearly from when I was a kid, more so than any other scene well, in this film. I remember that. Well, I think they used it in the promotion. Yeah, uh, I think it was the cover of the VHS tape as well. It might have been, and I think it was also. Well, no, I don't even think it's in the comic. Oh, okay. Like you said, you mentioned Jason in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it as like a kind of King Kong, yeah, reference, but with the Predator, and that's where we saw the Adam West <laughs> climbing yeah. up, the, up the up the the walls, which. Uh, yeah, less of that, yeah. please. We were talking before about Danny Glover, mm-hmm. um, and, and I said, you know, I was knocking him, he's miscast, but I will say that it's not his fault, and I think the script does a really bad job of at least giving him a chance to fill the shoes of Arnold, because in the first film, Arnold uses his Boy Scout techniques, you know, with his ropes and stringing uh, logs up, yeah. and he actively seeks out the predator yes well he realizes that he's gonna have to turn the tables once he stumbles yeah there's a, there's a, there's one part of the film where i've already dinged this one for saying why does the character understand it the one in the first one is when arnold falls into the mud and establishes that predator didn't see him because there's a little mm. bit of you kind of got to go with that and if you go with it, then you're really going to enjoy the film. And if you don't go with it, it's going to really yeah. bug you. And for the rest of it, you're kind of like, well, how did he denote that he couldn't see him just on the basis that he had a load of mud on him? I go with that and really enjoy the film. In this one, they never really give Danny Glover a chance to act, to be active, to, no, to take they, they, the action to the get... Predator. He's forever, he's chasing his tail we the whole time. Like, he just stumbles... Position. Yeah, he just stumbles into scenes and, like you said, receives information. He never really takes that information and does something mm. with it. And that is highlighted by the fact that he's chasing the Predator down and then he gets hit by a truck and it's the G-Men with the naf-naf jackets and they just carry him in to uh, my favourite film, probably one of my favourite films, which is Alien. Yes. He just transports yeah, himself just, into it. <laughs> dropped into... Into the most famous scene of Aliens as well. Do you, me- do you remember when we were at university? I think it was in our second year. Uh, a director came in. I don't think he was terribly successful, but I think he'd had a couple of short mm-hmm. films and maybe did a couple of things on television. And he showed yeah. one of his short films. And during it, he 
basically pointed out every film that he'd ripped off. He just went, yeah. Do you remember that guy? He was like, oh, this shot. Yeah, I took that from yeah, uh, Vertigo. Like, and this shot, uh, nicked that from Taxi Driver. He, he had a strange one, which was that he, he filmed a, a building in like, like a middle long shot, a relatively long shot. And he said, I wanted the building to look kind of scary and imposing. And so I framed it the same way that Kubrick framed the little girls in The Shining. There's nothing wrong with taking taking somebody's ideas. This is in any mm. walk of life. And then doing something new with it or taking it and inspiring you to do something else. But taking it and just plagiarizing it is is a big no-no, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go hard on Stephen Hopkins here because he had the chance. This this might have been in the script where the writers have gone. Oh, I really liked that scene in Aliens from three years ago where um, we have the team yeah. that go in and they think that they're they're you know they think that they've got this under control, but the species is gonna flip it and they're gonna they're gonna get slaughtered. Yep, a la Aliens, but Stephen Hopkins he must have watched it and went. Oh, I really like the red lighting, so I'll take that. Um, they even take lines yeah. of dialogue. The sound effects too. The uh, the proximity beeps. Yeah, the sound effects, the the beeps, the cameras, the lions, the tigers, the bears. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as again, as a kid, you, you know, this is like uh, this is like having a bag of sweets. You know, aliens, predators. Who cares? Just give me more, 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 more. Um, but as a as an adult, this is this this really pissed me off <laughs> what's ironic is this is probably the best scene in the film <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately it's it's completely taken it's from, true. Well, from it, it, it's a scene that um it runs a little slower than the rest and you can tell you can tell the difference in the pacing it 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 gives it gives things room to breathe it gives it a uh, uh, space for a little bit of tension to generate but i've got a big problem that gary Busey gives the data dump they call back to the first one. We got this information from firsthand from what happened mm-hmm. in the first film. Fine. He says when the creature, I think he says when the creature's threatened or when the creature's trapped, he will detonate a thermal oh, nuclear yeah, bomb yeah. that will take out 10 city blocks. Three, wait, three, didn't they say 300 city blocks? Yeah. Was it? What on earth did they think the Predator was going to do when they trapped it in this fucking slaughterhouse? Insanity, because, <laughs> like, Arnie runs... Well, also, Arnie runs on foot away from that bomb. He can't run 300 city blocks in the time it takes for a Predator to mimic Billy's laugh. But he's but he's your... um, He's willing to take the risk because he's your Paul Reiser figure. It's always it's the bad the bad military tech guys. Anyway, let's say lights don't uh, emanate heat. Uh, visors which they're breathing on also don't emanate yep. heat, and these suits are completely going to cloak yep. them. Allah, the first one with the mud. Why do they think the predator can't hear? <laughs> they're walking around, and they they are just knocking shit left, right, and well, center. They're slapping the meat around. Oh, this is so stupid. Um, you know, I even I said it was the best scene in the film. It is, but it's so fucking. Stupid. <laughs> See, he he does still have the ability to to hear. He then shifts his uh, his his uh, visible spectrum to to be able to incorporate ultraviolet light. You know, I actually really like that sort of purple light in the scene. I think it's like a nicely lit scene. It's obviously ripped off. 
I think this one feels more Alien One than it, than Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. In the chains and the lighting and stuff, but uh, yeah, he he then uh, we get the Danny Glover on the intercom. He sees you get out of there, all that, and um, he uh, he rather limply fights his way out of the little porter cabin. Yeah, gives gives someone a little love pinch in the throat. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a little unconvincing, and then blasts his way in. Uh, yeah. At this point, they're all getting picked off, right? They're all getting aliensed. They're all, you know, that the, the yeah, TV monitors are disappearing one by one. Yeah, they're, they're fodder. Um, the team's fodder um, at this point. So really, all we the only character that we even know in that team is is Gary Boosie, uh, and he, yeah. and he's he's struggling because someone shot his uh, his line for his little ice gun. Danny Glover blasts his way in. And then we get a bit of a, a mano a mano. Um, Boosie, doesn't he get dispatched by a backwards-facing rocket? I just like the way that the Predator just turns and goes, ah, that's the one I was really after, and sort of dismisses yeah. Gary Boosie and fires. Also uh, plays in later on because he comes back. But I quite like that. It's quite cool. The magnet that is the Predator's uh, plasma hairdryer on the on his shoulder yeah it always gets hit doesn't it it does well because you have to take it it's too powerful so you have to take it out of the scene exactly i don't know how bill paxton missed it when he was shooting directly at him yeah but yeah uh, danny glover hits that and then we've got uh you know we've evened out the playing field a little bit mm. um and is this where the predator i can't remember does the predator fire a little a little nerf rocket at danny glover and it hits him in his little chest uh yes yeah, yeah, but you see him. You've seen him stuff a chest plate into his uh, bulletproof vest earlier. So you, you've. This is the last time I'm gonna. Yeah. Last time I'm gonna mention it, but mm-hmm. uh, feels a little aliens when uh, when Hicks gets hit with acid in the chest and he's uh, ah. trying to get his chest plate off. Yeah, that's yeah. the last time I'm gonna mention it now, folks. So you don't need to worry about <laughs> it. I, I doubt. I doubt that's entirely accurate, but we we can. It's it's it goes very stalk and slash there. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and and Danny Glover sort of the using meat. the, yeah, using the meat. Then Gary Boosie jumps back into the mm-hmm. film, and he's got a little, um, he's got a little Harvey Two Face yeah. thing going on, and he's still he's still adamant that this little shitty freeze gun's gonna <laughs> gonna do the business on the planet. Yeah, uh, and he makes the you know he's like, leave it alone, Harrigan. This is between me and him. It's <laughs> like so, okay, uh, fine, whatever, uh, and then. Now I know um, my hairdresser Joseph, who is probably going to be angry at me because I think he really likes this film, and I've I've been a bit harsh, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but he did ask the same thing that I asked when I was like eight. So when the predator chucks this, which disc, did you hear the sound which, effect when yeah, he throws it? A... It's like a kind of standard the big cat screech sound effect. It's the same uh, sound effect that they use when uh, Brian Fantana opens up Sex Panther. <laughs> Oh no, I didn't catch that. I was too busy sort of thinking if that got, looks kind of cool. If you've got a spare no, five minutes on you, luckily I think that scene will just be on YouTube. You won't have to watch the whole film. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. Thank you very much. That sounds like it'll be fun. But yeah, he chucks it and then, you know, we see it cutting the meat. Gary Boosie's legs, but they're not really because it's 100% a little mannequin. And, yeah, um, guts. Yeah, and it chops chops him in half. We see the legs fall. We yep. see a pool of blood. Thank God. It's only taken like a one hour and 20 to get some blood. 
where the hell's his torso go? And I remember thinking that even as a kid. Why don't they just not even bother sh- like holding the shot and just cut the legs going to the side, a little bit of blood, and then leave it? But they let the lugs- legs drop and then sort of fall away to the ground, yeah. Yeah. That's it's making weird. it massively, massively obvious. I mean, it's not even a, it's not a continuity gaff. It's just weird because it, it's the first thing you would ask if you saw that scene in the edit is, oh, they might wonder where, where the top half of his body's gone. I mean, I know but that sometimes uh, when you're on set, things can get a little rushed and people might, you know, make decisions that later seem a little baffling, but, you know, they're in the heat of the moment and, and that, you know, they're making the best of it. But yeah, you would think that somebody would say, because that's a big special effects gag. Like this is a bit of a yeah, showcase yeah, for, set for the effects guys. So at what point do you think they would say, wait, did you want us to make a top half? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Ran out of money. Now we didn't get mm-hmm. into this earlier, um, but the here is an opportune time. The Predator. Can he speak English? Or understand English. You know how you like, and this is one one for the yeah. first film as well. He records what yeah. people are saying, and then he plays it yeah. back at opportune times, like a like a catchphrase mm-hmm. machine. Uh, and in this film, he does it when the mask comes off. He somehow knows Arnold's line from the first one. Yeah, despite the fact that this is, of course. Uh, completely unrelated second predator just from an entire species of predators also i didn't yeah i didn't think he could like no talk. i thought he could just do the little screaming i didn't know he could you know yeah because the, the, <laughs> when you that's the first time you really see down the barrel of that mouth though and that is quite something isn't it it might be the second gratuitous fanny shot in yeah. this film yes <laughs> Some weird psychosexual stuff getting worked out by the this, this special effects department there. Gets really, really angry. And here's another uh, sort of continuity gaff. And normally this wouldn't bother me, but because these these issues are starting to mount up for me, the filmmaking's kind of haphazard and they're just... You can't help but think that they just don't care. His mask has been taken off. In the first one, we established that he sees infrared and the mask is the thing that does that because yeah. when he takes the mask off and he's fighting he's... Arnold... He goes into just yeah. pure red. In this, he's still got infrared yep. the whole time. Because we see a shot of Danny Glover climbing the ladder very slowly because he's 54. <laughs> God bless him. I don't, I don't think I'm being harsh when I'm saying that I, that this just feels really sloppy. And, and you kind of just think, well, if, if your filmmakers don't care to even get that right, what yeah. else aren't they doing right? Well, it means he's unmasked for a much longer period of the film. So I guess they have to just make it they just have to make it so that (laughs) nah i got nothing i was was trying to i was trying to like retrofit an argument as to why they might go through with something like that but that's just laziness in it danny glover climbs to the Mm -hmm. to the roof and then the predators he's been kind of shot up at this point and he's got some breathing apparatus to help him um yeah help him breathe danny glover decides to (laughs) nfl uh tackle him as opposed to stabbing with the spear, which I think was a missed opportunity. They then do the movie thing yep. of, we see them go off the cliff, but oh, don't worry, yep. uh, they're both holding on. Uh, th- this is really weird. Daddy Glover's sort of very safely He's perched. face down on The Predator ledge. has got his little... Yeah. <laughs> the Predator's got, is, is holding yep. on to Daddy Glover's arm. And I kept thinking, like, he's supposed to be, mm. he, we've seen he's really strong. He can, why can't he just um, do a little bit of 
little bit of climbing and just sort of move to the ledge and then he doesn't need to hold on to Danny Glover. Yeah. But Danny Glover cuts the Predator's arm. He falls and then yeah. uh, conveniently lands on a pipe, which then breaks, which then crashes into an apartment building. Yeah. Now, I said earlier that the uh, the Metro train yeah. was uh, the worst scene in the film. This next scene is my least favorite of the film. Counterpoint, I like it and think it is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'll... Why, Devlin? <laughs> When I when I come to actually summing up the film, I think um, I think I'll be able to explain it a little better. So I, I, I want to hear why it's terrible. Well, tonally, it's all over the place. Also, we are supposed to be ramping up the tension to the big climax. This scene comes out of nowhere. We got we got the predator crashing into a toilet, and I think it's because Danny Clover takes so long to get down. That's why they were like, well, we need some the Predator to do something while Danny Glover takes 45 minutes to climb down from uh, from the roof. <laughs> so they're just like, well, you remember that scene in the first one where he uh, sort of uses his toolkit and mm-hmm. heals himself? Well, this time he's going to make up this blue crystal stuff, uses, uses what he can, creates this mixture, and then starts healing himself. But then we have an old yep. woman who's, who's like watching Family Fortunes <laughs> or something. And this is this is bonkers. You know, you said before about the the violence being cartoonish. This is straight out of Looney Tunes. It does, or, mm. or, you know, this is not what should be in a Predator Two film. No chance. Uh, she's got a little <laughs> broom, and then as the Predator runs out, and this, I mean, if this was a comedy, then I would be laughing. But I wasn't laughing. I was head in hands, tutting, and Danny Glover comes in, and Stephen Hopkins is loving. This keeps keeps the camera on the on the shot. Daddy was like, "Don't worry, I'm a policeman." <laughs> I don't think he gives a shit. Oh, this yeah. is this is this is criminal. What is this doing in the Predator Two film, Devlin? Come on, tell me what. Tell me now why this is good. Let's 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 just barrel through this 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 last fight scene because let's be honest, we're we're down to the. the brass tacks it when it, yeah yeah nothing really happened oh he, he goes down and he goes down an elevator an elevator shaft and then and then an elevator comes and then so he falls but he manages to hold on to either side of a giant hole in the cement floor yeah. for a little while then but then he has to drop and then he's on the ship yeah the geography of it is uh, he's in an apartment block he falls he falls through a hole directly onto the ship um, if I can skip over the last bit, we'll come back to it. But if I can skip over the last bit, that ship then takes off, blasting a whole bunch of um, exhaust, like flames and stuff, that Danny Glover successfully runs away of, uh, down like a big giant tunnel cave thing, and ends up on a huge patch of like waste ground. How far has he run? He's quicker than Arnold, I think. But I, I don't remember, because obviously you end up with a helicopter shot. I don't remember being able to see the apartment block anywhere nearby. So, Listen, at this, at this point in the film, it's kind of already lost me. So I'm, I've, 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 I've given up forgiving it for its sins. So he's now in the ship. Um, we see the alien head in all its glory, and that kind of creates the the buzz for Alien vs. Predator, the film. The Predator and Danny Glover have a bit of a mano a mano uh, yep. Predator's obviously got one arm at this point. Danny Glover's gets sort of sliced in the center, and then he's just sort of playing possum. 
and then just stabs him. And it's just re- it's really weak and really anticlimactic. And that's what that's all I've got to say about this ending. It- you pull in on tropes, you know, the old um, uh, beaten with their own weapon thing hoisted by their own petard turning the villain's own yeah. weapons against them I, I know what you mean. it's um yeah i think we've we've reached into the uh the mm-hmm. big bag of cliches and just pulled out one which was applicable and i'm glad it doesn't drag it out no it doesn't no um you know that was dragged out when danny glover was trying to climb down get him so that, that maybe i'll get lucky and fall well uh... <laughs> goddamn birds <laughs> I do like this bit, though, when uh, a whole mm. horde of predators come out of nowhere. It's the only bit that really gives you like that kind of yeah. excitement of, this is something different. I, I don't mind how they how they resolve it as well. You know, hands the hands the gun over. It's, uh, it's that little kind of hints of mythology and world building that we're asking for, This um, that he hands over such a vintage pistol that it's like, oh, so they've been coming here for centuries. You know, they've just been marauding the universe, just mm-hmm. picking off whatever creatures they feel like picking off. Um, it gives you that without without laboring anything. It's a really short scene. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that as well that they don't kill him, again, it just tells you that... A warrior code, a Bushido. That they, they have got a code. Yeah, and, and, and the weapon, the passing of the weapon is them acknowledging yeah. it and saying, you know, good sport, well done. I won't go into it. Uh, I have read the fan fiction behind right. the weapon and the name. Devlin, go away okay. after after this episode and read it. Um, the, the people that come up with this stuff, they should be writing the films. They have got such an imagination. He then just leaves. I love the way that he's just sort of, uh, you know, the, the ship's about he, to take off. No real warning. Yeah, um, well, he, he almost seems like he gets lost. Well, I was, uh, it was a bit. Odd, because he dropped. He seemed to. He dropped in from above, from what I remember. Does he? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So he just sort of knows how to leave. All these doors keep shutting on him, and then he 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 leaves. And yeah, apparently he's fast enough to while it's while the engines are revving up in a few seconds, he can run out of the entire city via a tunnel, which definitely which definitely exists. So Predator Two, Devlin. Did you waste your time? Do you recommend this film to our listeners? Wow, two parts. All right. Um, did I waste my time? Uh, I'm going to say uh, definitely not. On the, in the sense that it was a, a great introduction to this kind of film for me as a, as a very young kid. You know, this is a, it's a good gateway, good gateway film into you know trashy watchable b-movie stuff when we talk about predator we sort of push predator into an uh, another uh another sphere just above that you know same thing you do with with aliens it's it could ostensibly be uh, a a dumb film can still be really entertaining but it's it's better than that because it's elevated by people who know exactly what they're doing crafting these things in such a way that they become you know, like um, like a little bit of pop art. Predator 2 does not fall into that category. But I'll tell you what it does fall into for me. It's like watching an Albert Pyun film. <laughs> um, and I bloody love Albert Pyun films. Um, oh, God. <laughs> he's he's like a, a remarkable trash author. And, and he's 
equal parts absolute thief, but also like quite creative with it when given a chance. He's also like he's a workman, like he's just going to turn out films. You give him three weeks and no script, he will give you a film. You end up with Cyborg or whatever, or Doll Man, like all these ridiculous films that he was making for Charles Band or for uh, Canon back in the day. And I feel like this film is right in this kind of sweet spot of its um, remarkable, fast-moving trash nonsense with enough money behind it that it's actually got some craftsmanship and um, I don't know, man. I, I think it hits me just in the right place, which is this is, this is glorious nonsense. And I, I love how I just, I love the, the pace of it. I love that it, it doesn't give you time really. I mean, if, if we hadn't gone back and sort of combed through it and, and, and sort of tried to pass out its weaknesses while I watched it the first time I was all the way in it. It was great. I was having a, I was having a great time. I would put it on for, you know, Sunday afternoon or a midweek night when you don't want to have to engage any of your higher brain functions. I think that's fair enough. I definitely agree that I don't think we wasted uh, our time with this one in our youth. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. It was a, it was a great introduction to sci-fi, monster movies, um, just, yeah, it was a, a really good introduction to that kind of world. And then you can explore it just like anything, just like you would do with music or, or anything that you, you, know, you get into. Uh, you need something as a, as a good in that's uh, that is accessible. Uh, so in that respect, uh, Predator 2 works. Uh, but we, we were eight <laughs> when we watched it. Um, what I, um, I also agree with is that this is it's like the perfect hangover film. Or I, I totally agree. The pacing is so breakneck as far as they are just efficient yeah the scenes are just long enough and they don't really hold on too much uh, and they just sort of barrel through the story uh, there's no characters really to identify with or attach yourself to and i think that's where um, the missed opportunity comes in mm. uh, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna create uh, human characters that we can identify with and you're gonna keep doing these pov shots of the predator why not just make the film uh, about the predator observing these horrible heinous people i'd think that would be more interesting oh yeah um, right. that's not the that's that's not the film we get but sadly I, I don't think that's a film we would get in 1990 i think that's too meta yeah we might maybe maybe the uh the, the latest film uh is it called the predator yeah i think we, we've uh, just gone with the predator yeah that which is being released later this year maybe you know we'll see what they do with that um but but no, uh, unfortunately, as you can probably tell, this is probably the worst kept uh, secret ever. Uh, I do not recommend this film. Probably not watch it again. And what's the shame, though, is I kind of wish that I kept this one in the nostalgia bank and I didn't see it again. However, that is the whole reason why we do the pod, um, is that we go back and we reassess these things and, and, and try and see if they live up to sort of where we're at now in our lives and, and whether or not they would be recommended for yeah. new audiences. Um, but yeah, eight-year-old me would love this and I recommend it for anybody who's a completist of the Predator series. I thought you were going to say um, I recommend it for no. anyone who's eight. <laughs> no, I do. Uh, but but uh, yeah. 
uh, you know, don't watch it with uh, with the parents yeah. around. That's for sure. So, Devlin, with that in mind, would you like to know my choice for the next episode? I'm on metaphorical tenterhooks in a metaphorical, unconvincing meat locker. Well, anyone who's been following the podcast from the first episode has probably recognised that we'd mentioned this many, many times. And it was one of the reasons why I've gone for this one. Because of the era that we're dealing with, that female characters tend to be given the short shrift. So I've decided to go for something that has got, at the time it came out, critical praise, an iconic performance uh, thrown in there, and also a film that I, I really, really love. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how, how it holds up for reappraisal. And I'm also very interested to, to know what, we, what you think of the film. So the next episode is going to be Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. Oh, What do we think, Devlin? Oh, that's cracking. That's a really interesting choice. Um, that, yeah, that's, uh, that would be good. You know, um, I don't think I watched it as a kid. I have seen it, but I saw it for the first time probably within the last 10 years, maybe even within the last five years. Uh, and haven't okay. seen it since, but obviously it was a film that, like, that poster uh, was everywhere when we were kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's a great shout. Now, also for the listeners of the show, normally I would have the music for the uh, upcoming review in the background, uh, building us up, you know, getting everyone excited. Uh, this week, I'm going to go for something different because... Uh, I watched the making of Predator 2 documentary and you also found the same clip as me, Evelyn. And if you weren't sure about watching Predator 2, we thought it best to leave it to Gary Boosie to explain why you should see the film. So we will say our goodbyes and then I'll leave it to Gary Boosie to finish off this episode. So it's... Gally in Glasgow, signing and out. Devlin in London. Enjoy your boosy blast. <laughs> I guess you're wondering what we're doing here in these barbecue outfits. Well, it's easy. We're going in after another world life force from another galaxy that has a self-defense mechanism that we don't understand. It's intangible to this time and space. It's actually from the theory of relativity and from the theory of quantum mechanics. Take those properties and equalize them, and you have the quantum theory of gravity, which is a discussion of how this universe started and how it will end. The Predator knows that information already. It is our job and our objective to go capture the Predator, sit him down, have a talk with him, find out why he does what he does, how he does what he does, and where he gets the weaponry and the defense mechanisms he uses in order to obtain his goal. And that is our goal. If we don't achieve that goal, we will be turned into vapor clouds made of small pink particles known on Earth as blood. Hi everyone, I've got a quick favour to ask. If you enjoyed the podcast, could you rate and review the episode on whatever platform you're listening to it on? For more information about the podcast, check out rewindmoviecast.com. Also, find us on Twitter and Instagram and let us know your thoughts about each episode. Once again, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.